I'm your host, Stephen Gutteridge, and welcome to Mid-South Moments. We have a very special guest host this week, joining me all the way from Mobile, Alabama, and having attended high school in New Orleans in the early 80s. Huge Mid-South fan, Terry Canover is here. How are you doing today, Terry? I'm doing great, Stephen. I'm excited to do this with you today, man. Good stuff. Well, first of all, I mean, we can't we can't avoid the question. How are things in Mobile at the moment with the uh, the pandemic ongoing? Well, you know, I guess as good as you can expect. Uh, um, I'm a school teacher, mm. and 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 so uh, you know, fortunately, I'm at a school. We have, for lack of a better term, we've got you know, kind of a wealthy student body, and sure. and and so we have a lot of means to to navigate through this. So. So we've been really fortunate. We actually, the entire summer, uh, my wife and I and, and my assistant coach, we ran summer day camps. Uh, we had all of our athletic camps. Uh, we're back in school uh, full time. You know, uh, now, Stephen, it's, it's tough. Now, you know, uh, we, have, we have kids, uh, you know, every week or so we have one or two out. And, uh, but we've got a lot of measures in place. And, and quite honestly, I, I think our students are probably better off at school than they are running the streets. Yeah, I, I yeah. think I, you know. I think a lot of the cases we see is our our kids going home and then going to a party on the weekend. Yes. and then yeah. you, you know, then they, then they stuck home quarantined for two weeks. You know, so 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 we managing it well as best we can. We we we're trying to keep the six foot distance. We're trying to have the face coverings at all times. And, uh, you know, just trying to be smart and, and get through this. Yeah, it's been a, I mean, we, we haven't had any schooling. Uh, I always find it, uh, obviously, the States and the UK are, are, very, are similar in many ways, but very, very different in different ways. But obviously, the, the state by state system where you guys are versus like everything is just one in England and everything is just one in Scotland. So we haven't had any schooling here since towards the back end of March. So all of those kids, and they're about to go back now. So obviously there's quite a lot of, you know, debate around, you know, is this going to, is this going to work and all that sort of thing. So yeah, it's, um, we need, we need that vaccine sooner rather than later, don't we really? I, I, I really agree. Uh, yeah. I, I, my wife is actually uh, participating in a trial. So, so my wife may already have the vaccine. because <laughs> mm. she, uh, uh, Pfizer is doing a study uh, and, and locally, there's a place that's doing it, and she's gotten two shots. Now she she may have gotten a placebo, but uh, she she may also have gotten the vaccine. So we, yeah, we we hoping that's available to everybody soon. Yeah, uh, yeah. I mean that, know, that would be a game changer, right? Yeah. Uh, there's no question, and, and that, and along with the rapid test, you know, I, I think I think between those two things, I, I think we really need that. Yeah, because I, I think at the moment we, we've got this sort of funny situation where things are creeping up but it's mainly mainly younger people i'm in my late 30s so it's probably i'm probably at the, the top end of that um, but people because you can't you can go to a bar here but it, you, there's no nightclubs or anything like that in the whole of the country open but it's all sort of separated table service and, and you, you do get the odd thing but yeah it's um you know we, we and, and everyone's working at home so central london is totally dead and it's just it is you know it is it is going to be interesting when the weather turns here in a, in a, in a, you know, in a few weeks' time and it gets a bit colder as to, as to what quite happens. But so let's get off COVID because that's, we don't want to, we don't want to yes. carry on a depressing front. So um, yeah, we're here absolutely. today to look at the September 22nd, 1984 episode of Mid-South Wrestling. But before we get on to that, um, tell me, Terry, about some of your sort of earliest memories uh, watching wrestling. So how did you discover this, the, the, perhaps the greatest sport in the world? No question. Uh, n- not, not, 
just the greatest sport in the world. But I think, you know, me being in New Orleans at, at the time, at the age I was at and at the time period, I was I was at the perfect storm um, mm. because, you know, here I am, a high school kid and, and or even, you know, maybe middle schools when I first, I guess, uh, saw it. You know, it, it just I don't remember exactly uh, when it started, one of my earliest memories, I remember seeing uh, uh, the junkyard dog pushing Buck Robley in a wheelbarrow. Uh, okay. To the ring. <laughs> I, I have I have a, a very faint memory of that. I also remember a little bit of the angle with uh, Ken Mantell had a kind of a head shave angle, much like Kurt Angle did uh, when he was in the WWE, where he got his head shaved and wore headgear. Ah, um, yes, and, yeah, of course, yeah. yeah. yeah Yes, and, and so I remember a little bit of that angle, um, but but really most of my memories start probably about eighty eighty one. I remember you know the Samoans and 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 those guys being in, and of course the Junkyard Dog and Bob Roop and Paul Orndorff and Ted DiBiase, and and that's kind of the, my my early memories. And I was really lucky. I had a guy down the street that lived uh, who their family knew Grizzly Smith, who was oh, the booker at the time. Okay. Yes, yeah, yeah. yes. And, and so I got really lucky. One day they asked, hey, you want to come to wrestling? I've got these tickets from Grizzly Smith. So, so that really, you know, introduced me to the live matches, which just opened, it up, opened up the floodgates. It was just a whole new ball game when you got to see it live. Oh, absolutely. I always, and I still think this too, no, I, I was going to say to an extent, but it's not to an extent. I think that even, you know, I, I, my first ever live event was SummerSlam 92, and I can't. I think I'm in the 80s or so live live events now. But there's something about live wrestling that is, it's just, I don't want to say it feels real, but you're you're more into it than you are. And, and I, I, I think a lot of people talk about the, well, I think it was better when everyone thought it was real versus, well, did we, did we always kind of know that this wasn't, like a legit sporting contest. I, I'm, I'm, I'm more on the side of, actually, I'm not sure if it matters if you're invested in the stories, just like it doesn't matter with, um, you know, drama, et cetera, and things you watch on, you know, Netflix or whatever. You know it's not, you know it's fiction, but it's still, you're still in, you're bought in. Um, but I think that that live experience, especially at a young age, you know, you're in it, aren't you? You're, you know, you're deeply invested emotionally in the outcomes of those matches. Um, so was that, was that, in, the, in terms of those early, early shows, was that in, in New Orleans, which was where, where you were first going to see those? Yes, uh, in New Orleans, they would run almost every week on Monday nights in the New Orleans Municipal Auditorium. Yes, yeah. Uh, once in a while, they would do the St. Bernard Civic Center, and then later on, they would do like the UNO Lakefront Arena, and of course, the Superdome had the big events. Uh, but but most of most of my experiences was at the uh, Municipal Auditorium in New Orleans on Monday mm. nights. So, can you, can you remember your first show? Is that something that sticks out, or are they all? Because I guess you were probably going quite a lot, so they all sort of blur into blur it, into one kind of thing. It it really does. It, it blurs. Uh, you know, I wish my memory were better, and I could really think. I, I I'll tell you a couple that they kind of jump out at me. I, I remember one night, uh, one of the most fun matches I saw. It was uh, Bob Root was the North American t- uh, champion, and he was wrestling Paul Orndorff. Okay, and yeah. uh, it, it was a it was a great match. It was one of those deals where, kind of the the the, the screw job at the end. I think Paul Orndorff, uh, uh, pull, uh, uh Bob Roop had some brass knucks or some kind of object. 
Uh, Orndorff gets it from him. He knocks Roop out. He, he gets the pin. All of us fans, we go and scream, and we got a new champ. We got a new champ. And then the referee, as he raises Orndorff's hand, he sees the object in his, oh, in wow. his hand. You know, <laughs> and, and, and I get a kick. You know, you hear all these, you know, so-called internet experts these days. You know, they talk about all these screw jobs and this and that. And, but, but like you said, you know, I, I, I really think we knew yeah. it, it was a show. I, I think most sensible people knew it was a show. It was kind of like watching a, mu- mu- a musician. You know, you, you want to suspend disbelief and you just want to uh, uh, immerse yourself in it. And so we were all jumping and, and, and happy as could be. And, and we got a new champion. And then, of course, you know, then when the bubble gets burst when uh, the referee sees the object, disqualifies Paul Orndorff and Bob Roop, you know, uh, sneaks away with the belt again. You know, So, so was Orndorff that, the, the baby face in that scenario that in the, out of those two? <laughs> He, he was now. Yeah. Paul Orndorff, Paul Orndorff was one of these guys where he probably changed heel babyface more than any wrestler that that, that I you know I'd ever seen because mm-hmm. he was he was flip flopping very often uh, uh, in the mid south and and you know I, I I guess he did that elsewhere as well. Yes, yeah, because he obviously had the famous run with um with Hogan in what would that have been eighty six yeah. I suppose and then he was. Trying to think the end of his WWF run. I can't remember if he was a heel or face, but there was certainly a couple of flips in there, definitely. Because obviously he flipped heel to to face Hogan, and I, and I think he was a heel before that. So there must have been heel face heel in that in that run. So I'm, sh- I'm pretty sure he was a heel at WrestleMania. Obviously, he was at WrestleMania one. Yeah. So there's two turns in there, isn't there? To get to get what you need to get to to make it uh, Hogan and, and Orndorff. But that's that's really interesting. So obviously they, he used the knucks and they reversed the decision. Then so back then, did you? Well, how big was this? In, in, you know, when you when you were you know going into high school and stuff, was this something that um, you know most of the people in the class were watching? Well, you know, was this you know because I know that Miss South was obviously huge at the time, and this is your sort of home home area promotion, if you like, isn't it? It is. You know, I I think I think at the time there was there was a little bit of a of a stigma, I guess uh, you would say. You know, not everybody was wrestling fans, and I think mm. sometimes you know, wrestling fans was kind of frowned upon, you know, like, oh, you know, you watch that phony stuff. Uh, but, 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 but at the same time, there were a lot of us friends who, who watched it and, you know, we'd get to school and, and, uh, and, and, and talk about it and things. So, so, you, you know, no, it wasn't as big as say the, the, the New Orleans Saints and the NFL, or no, it mm. wasn't as big as say the, the New Orleans Jazz was, was in New Orleans at the time uh, for the NBA. It, it wasn't that big, but, but there was a, a, a good group of us that, that, you know, religiously watched it every week. Can you remember who who some of your sort of early favourites were? And did you did you have a? I always think that when you've got a particular person, it's almost like a hero kind of thing in wrestling. That that you're for whatever's going, what else is whatever else is going on. If you're really you've got that sort of number one guy or girl um, that you're really supporting, that's always like the times you can really most remember. So was there someone back in those early days that really sort of jumped out to you? Yeah, you know. it, it's kind of evolved, you know. Uh, I know, for instance, you know, DiBiase when, when he turned heel, you know, we were all uh, again. You, you talk about guys that you know we we understood it was not real, mm-hmm. but when DiBiase turned on the junkyard dog, all of our mouths dropped. 
you know, uh, because because I think more than anybody else, Junkyard Dog was the guy, I, you know, and, and I've, I've listened, to, I've had a chance to listen to some of your, you guys' podcasts. And I know it's always discussed. Unless you were in New Orleans at, at that time, you have, you just can't realize how popular this Junkyard Dog was. Yeah. I mean, this guy was was God in, in yeah. New Orleans. Uh, they, I don't know if you've ever heard, I've heard different people refer to it, that there was a poll that, that was cast in the New Orleans area at one time, and it may have been around, you know, 81, 82, but it, it was the most popular sports figure in New Orleans, and it was between Archie Manning, who was the Saints quarterback, it was Pistol Pete Maravich, who was you know, great player for the New Orleans Jazz, and a junkyard dog, and and a junkyard dog won the won the contest. Wow. I mean, that's mega star, isn't it? That's that's oh, that's, it, that's bona fide mega star, isn't it? No question, no hmm. question. Uh, uh, Hacksaw Duggan was was one of those guys that that we really liked. Uh, l- listening to one of your recent podcasts, I, I know in, a lot of guys have a, people have a hard time watching Hacksaw and really getting him. Uh, he he to me was one of the people that unless you were there at that time, you can't really appreciate it because he, he's not putting on any five-star matches. Hmm. You know, he, he's, he's not – his stuff, if you watch it today, isn't going to translate as well. But when, if you were in New Orleans in 1984 and you suspending disbelief, he was a hero. And, and, and you wanted him to beat the pants off of Jim Cornette or – Ted DiBiase or, 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 you know, any of those guys. And so, so Duggan was amazingly over. I mm. mean, the, the guy was really over. Uh, and, and then I'll, t- I'll give you one more because I could, you know, my favorites, I can go on and on. One of my favorites, and it has a great little sidebar, was Mr. Olympia, uh, the mass wrestler. Oh, yes. Yeah. South. Well, several years ago, uh, uh, the, um, WrestleMania comes to New Orleans, and as part of the weekend, Mid-South has a little reunion uh, show. So I have the great opportunity to meet Mr. Olympia. And, and, you know, I take a picture with him and meet him and get to, get to talk with him and many of the other guys. Well, uh, in the process, a couple weeks later, I posted on Facebook. Uh, I send Jerry Stubbs, Mr. Olympia, Facebook request. Well, fast forward, we kind of become Facebook buddies. Oh, that's great. Well, yeah, that's really good. It, 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 it was super cool. So so then I get a private message for, from him one day saying, hey, I see you're a coach. Uh, you know, I, I, used to, I coached my sons and I played minor league baseball. And he's telling me a little bit about himself. Much of it I already knew because I was such a mark for him, you know. Yeah. Well, he tells me, he goes, I tell you what, coach, if you, if you I coach high school girls basketball. He says, if you girls make it to the state tournament, I believe that's in Birmingham, uh, Alabama, correct? And I say, yep. He says, well, I don't live far from there. I want to drive over and see you guys play in person. Wow, that's so, really cool, yeah. So, so Stephen, long story short, he, he, we make it. He comes over. Uh, I'll actually shoot you some pictures later on so you can see some of these pictures. Got he, he, he puts on his mask. He, he speaks to my team before the game. Um, uh, since then, he and his wife, Maureen, are now great friends with my wife and I, and we do vacations together. Oh, boy, so, that's incredible. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, in, my, in my little man cave right here, I'm looking, I've got two Mr. Olympia masks. Uh, he's, he's just a, he's a dear friend of mine now. 
But here's a guy who was one of my favorite wrestlers in 1982, uh, and, and now now we're friends. And so, oh, that's so it's a, kind of a long story, but I think it's it's a really cool story for 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 an old Mark like me. You know, no, that's fantastic. Unfortunately, I and I, I can't even really remember why I picked the time to start when I did. I think I think I was interested in getting into 1984 because everything was good that was going on in the world of wrestling in '84. Um, but I miss Mr. Olympia in the in the start. I think he he finished in uh, mid south, maybe late summer '83. I think, and I started I started watching in October. Well, I started watching recently, but events, you know, television from October 84. So though I've seen him in other bits, I've missed it. I've missed his Mid-South run, sadly. Uh, which WrestleMania was that out of interest? Was that the WrestleMania 30 in New Orleans? I'm sorry, could you repeat well, that? Sorry, which WrestleMania was that? Because there, there was, there was, there's been two at the Superdomes. Was that the earlier one or the later one? It was the early one. Earlier yes. one. The, uh, the really, really. Yeah. I mean, that, that was a really strong show. I mean, that's a, that's a massive regret of mine not not going to that show because that's probably. The, I mean, thirty one was really strong as well. But that that thirty is probably the last great. Not probably, definitely the last great babyface WrestleMania finish. Um, where they just it just clicked in terms of what they did that night uh, with with Daniel Bryan. So that must have been quite a with meeting Mr. Olympia and the, and the reunion and all that stuff and, and and a really strong WrestleMania. That must have been quite a weekend for you there. Oh, it was so much fun because yeah. just just at the mid south, uh, and I'll say this: I, I'm I'm much more of a fan of the old stuff than I am the current stuff. Uh, mm. You know, I, I enjoy the pageantry of, of the WrestleMania, but but that particular year, I did not even go to WrestleMania. Uh, I, I've I've since I went to the next one that came to New Orleans, but but that year, all I did was went to the all of the other. House shows and oh, all yes. the other events. Yes. Joe, you know, lots of it, people do that now. Lots of people will even travel in and just go to everything, but and they don't go to WrestleMania because there's so much so much good stuff going on. So that's not unusual now at all. Oh, it, it was it was amazing. And and, mm. and just the, the, the Mid-South event itself, okay, on that day. I had the opportunity to meet uh, Kamala, you know, God rest his soul. He, you know, he just passed away. Yeah. Here. I, I met Kamala. I met Mr. Wrestling number two, got to, got to talk to him and visit with him for a while. Uh, Jim Cornette and the Midnight Express. Um, uh, uh, the Fantastics. Oh, uh, great. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Ironically, right after that, Tommy Rogers passes away. Yes, uh, so yeah. I had a chance to meet both of them. Uh, Bushwhacker Luke was there. I got a chance to meet him. Uh, Bill Watts uh, met him. So it was just a great, great event for, for Mid South fans. Yeah. And, and so, uh, so, so yeah, that, that being that, being part of that and part of WrestleMania, that whole weekend was really fun. Yeah, it's great. Did they did they do it again for uh, what was the last thirty four was New Orleans, New Orleans Superdome, wasn't it? Because I was at that one. I went to that's the first time I've been to, to been to New Orleans. But that's uh, did that did they come back? Or was that was that the one off for the two thousand? What was that two thousand fourteen? I suppose yeah, two thousand fourteen was that year, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah. I don't remember the exact year, but yeah, that, I think it was a one off because the next year, if they did have anything, it wasn't as advertised, and I hmm. I couldn't find it. And, no, no, no. And, and I, I actually, uh, you know, got with Jerry Stubbs and 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 was with him. We were trying to see if we couldn't get somebody to put something together, but uh, mm. but but they never did. Oh, how interesting! Um, what that, that's probably an opportune time. I'll, I'll skip forward and we'll come back to Mid South in a second. But since what what do you, do you tend to follow much of the sort of uh, stuff that's going on now? Is there any particular promotions that you you watch, or do you just sort of dive in and out of uh, of stuff if you see a good review online or something like that? Typically, what I'll do, Stephen, is uh, because I have the WWE Network, 
when, when it comes around WrestleMania time, I'll maybe watch it a week or two leading up and just kind of see the storylines and kind of see what's going on and kind of catch up. Uh, and and then, then I'll watch WrestleMania. Uh, but, but other than that, I mean, literally my wrestling consumption is if I mean, my, my wife is not a fan at all. Ditto. So, me so too. <laughs> if, if, I, if, got, if I've got a little solo TV time w- without her, what I will do is I will go on either the WWE Network and pull up one of the old territories or just go on YouTube yeah. and, and watch some of the old stuff uh, from the 70s and 80s. Uh, it's just, to, to me, uh, and again, I know we, we're, we're all more impre- impressionable when we're at that younger age. And it just, uh, you know, even if it wasn't Mid-South, I remember around that same time in that 80, 81, we was just starting to get the Madison Square ne- uh, Garden Network. And so they had Morocco and Snuka, you know, uh, TBS, you had, you had Piper, you know, with Gordon Soley as a commentator there. You know, it was just so many great things going on in those 80s. Yeah. You know, I, I just, I still spend a lot of time, you know, catching up on some of that stuff. So you've actually read my mind there, Terry, because something I'm absolutely fascinated by is the advent of cable television in the 80s and what that was like going from, um, you know, you had your local channels and local promotion and then all of a sudden it's like, it must have been like, my eyes have been open and you've got, like, it must have, apart from maybe to a slightly less extent now, so you've got lots of access to things on the online, et cetera, but you had a lot of hot promotions in those early eighties with lots of over characters. So you just mentioned a few there. So back, so back in the early eighties, you got cable and did, did you have access to obviously Madison Square Garden Network um, for the WWF and stuff to uh, presumably uh, mid Atlantic uh, and Georgia, I suppose as well at the time. So what, what must have that have been like? I mean, there must've been so, so much wrestling. You probably barely, barely knew what to, to do with it. or had the time to watch it all. Well, you, you know, keep in mind, you know, wrestling wasn't nearly as mainstream as it is now. Mm. So, so anytime, you know, a wrestler went on network TV, it was like, wow. So, so first of all, we didn't get to see it as much. So, so now this, this cable comes along and, and, and at our house, we didn't have it. Uh, we got it a little bit later than, than some people that lived close by. Mm. So we had a, uh, had a, a friend of mine, I would ride my bike, you know, it just, you know, maybe a half mile. I would ride it to his house because he was one of the first ones to get it. And I remember being able to first watch the, the super station and, and WTBS and watch yeah. the Atlanta wrestling. I'm thinking, Holy wow. You know? And so, so we got to see that. And then that, then we got that MSG network. And again, when we go to my friends to watch that, and that was the, the, the great thing about that was, so if, if you was watching Mid-South, you got great storytelling, you know, but you got a lot of squash, squash matches and, you know, every now and then some, some main event style matches. D- WTBS, you got nothing but squash matches almost. Well, then when you got the Madison Square Garden Network, you actually got to see a live house show. Yes. And so that was, you know, you got, man, I remember, uh, you know, it was what the Strongbows and, and uh, Andre the Giant against the Samoans, and you know, somebody uh, like uh, Blackjack Mulligan. And then, you know, like I said, you got Morocco, uh, Morocco Snooker. You know, you got Bob Backlund uh, defending his title. You know, it was just, it was so cool to be able to see all of those matches 
that the only other way you would see him is if you went live show locally. And so, uh, so that was really appealing. And then, then, you know, from there it starts snowballing. And then, then we, we would get world-class. Uh, mm-hmm. so, so we would watch them here. Uh, we would get Southwest championship wrestling, uh, which I really like that. I really kind of like that blood and guts, you know? Yeah. So, so Southwest was good because, because they had a lot of the blood and guts. Um, the, um, the Von Erich's Freebird feud in, in world class obviously was one of the hottest feuds on the planet. Uh, uh, a, a funny, funny little sidebar there. One of the Superdome shows, the Von Erichs were, were wrestling. Mm. Uh, and I don't even remember who it was, but there was some very, very annoying girls just <laughs> screaming, screaming and yelling for the Von Erichs. So us being, you know, adolescent knucklehead guys, I had the bright idea. I whispered to my friend loud enough that, that they could hear it. I said, hey, I saw the free birds in the back and uh, I bet you they're going to run out and really, really come, come beat, <laughs> beat, beat the heck out of, out of the Von Erics. And these poor girls could, could not even focus on the match anymore because they, they were watching for the, and the free birds were not even on the card that night, you know, but. Uh, That's incredible. But so, Sorry, so I was going to say, they, they did a. No, that's it. So oh, sorry, just just cut out a second. I'm just going to ask you what they did a um, they did a Flair and Kerry match in the Superdome, I think, at one point. And they do you, do, you, do you have any memories of that? Was that quite a big deal in the area when that was when they put that put that put that match on? Yeah, any time Ric Flair came, uh, and I had a chance to see him a, a couple times. Again, my 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 memory's cloudy. You know, after you know, I'm 53 years old now. So after watching these matches on YouTube for years and seeing some live, sometimes my my memory's a little unclear on who I saw who. Uh, but but I I did see Flair wrestle several times. I think it, I think I did see the carry match. Uh, the one I remember better was uh, Butch Reed wrestling Flair in the Superdome, and and the the, the memory that 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 sticks out the most with that one was you know you can th- you think of Ric Flair's gimmick he's got the belt and he's got the two women on each arm you know yes, one on each yeah. arm okay well literally when we parked in the Superdome parking lot as we were walking towards the entrance there is Butch Reed in the parking lot he's got a woman in each arm walking to towards the Superdome, so he's basically playing Ric Flair's gimmick in real life, <laughs> walking walking towards the, the entrance of the Superdome. So in that one, would would Flair have been the face, or would uh, would Butch Reed have been? Would that, would that was that after Butch returned, or would, was or that, was it heel versus heel? You know, uh, I'm cloudy on it, uh, but but even when when Butch Reed was a heel, he was still kind of that cocky, arrogant guy. You know, uh, so I want to say he was the babyface in that particular match because I, I don't think Flair in any of his matches in the mid south, at least, was was ever really a, a babyface. No, you know, no. I know, you know, Terry Taylor or or Duggan or you know any of those guys. He always seemed to be the heel. So I'm, I'm guessing Reed was 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 the heel, but but he was still that that cocky heel. Do you, do you know something very interesting about um, 
Ric Flair versus Butch Reed. So Ric Flair versus Butch Reed is the first North American match that Dave Meltzer ever gave five stars to. But it doesn't. It was in Miami Beach, um, I think, in April '82. But it doesn't exist on film. But Meltzer was there, and that's the first match that ever got the full five stars from him. So that's uh, no an interesting little tidbit about them. Because one of my projects during uh, during lo- the original lockdown was. I watched every Dave Meltzer five star match and above that you could find online, um, which is uh, which was quite a quite a project, shall we say? Because it basically oh, wow. took, took over my life for about three months. <laughs> and now I'm doing all, every Bret Hart pay per view match in history, which I've seen most of those before. But you're, what you said earlier on really resonated with me, with me about stuff that you can remember and stuff that from your childhood kind of is the is the real sort of like the best stuff kind of thing and, and i'm watching back these matches and brett was brett was probably my set my second my first favorite watching wf was randy savage because i was kind of in there um and had the tapes of the mega powers and that sort of stuff but brett hart yeah. was such a hero and watching some of that old stuff it's just like it gives you chills i watched his him uh, win the world title for the first time the other night and it was like i almost had tears in my eyes i'm like pull yourself, to, pull yourself together this is from 1992 like it's a long time ago now to move on but yeah i think mean, i think that's great i think these 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 that's why this stuff is i think now even more so because obviously you're watching um wrestling with that crowd so you watch some of this old stuff back like the, the rock and roll express come out on mid-south or you get a hulk hogan entrance or, or even steve austin later on and you think crikey this is uh, it, it, sh- it highlights how over people were so much more now when you're watching and they've either got you know some wrestlers at ringside or you've got some screens around it or you've got 500 people in an arena that holds seven thousand for AEW, and it's just like it is it is night and day and i think that these it's hard to like you said about junkyard dog in new orleans it's hard to to kind of overestimate what big stars these guys were at this time and this really, really starting to boom period of, of wrestling in the early 80s. And before we get on to the, to the review, I just wanted to ask a, sort of, a few more questions about, um, about mm-hmm. sort of Mid-South. Um, what did it feel like to you guys in the area um, ultimately when you, what, what became the UWF was, was bought out by Jim Crockett? I mean, was that a real awful time because i'd imagine that must have been quite gutting for to, to lose that sort of hometown promotion after it being such a such a favorite for, for so many years well you know Stephen, for me that because of the timing it didn't affect me that much only because i was then transitioning from graduating high school and going into the army right so, okay so, yep. so, yeah so, so so you know i missed bigger fish to fry basically yeah yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. And, and so so i you know just being a a wrestling fan in general so what happened to me was i go to the army i go to basic training then i go to my, my schooling i end up getting stationed in fort campbell kentucky which is an hour north of nashville mm. so so what we were now able to do was me and a couple of my buddies we would drive down to Nashville and watch some of that promotion. And so there I got to see Jerry Lawler and Austin oh, Idol and yes. Bill Dundee. And, you know, so, so, so for me, I, I, I had to come back later on and catch a lot of that UWF stuff mm. because I, I kind of missed a lot of that uh, I was kind of moving on, watching watching that other stuff you know, where, where I was located. Yeah. You're probably better being out of it, actually. And I think that that must have been a really really interesting time in Memphis because they were still doing pretty good business in the mid because this would have been what eighty six, eighty seven. So yes. I mean, that was still a pretty pretty good time for them, and that, and they clung on for a long time after, didn't they? In, into well into the late nineties, there's still a promotion in Memphis, I think, wasn't there? Um, mm-hmm. which, which is which is sort of one of the last one of the last territories. So 
Um, tell me about what, what are some of your some of your sort of favourite matches that you've seen, and it doesn't have to be mid south specific, yeah. but sort of in, in your in your time watching watching wrestling and going to events. What are some of your sort of big big standout memories? Yeah, so so uh, just personally, like I said, that 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 match with Orndorffen and uh, Roop sticks out. Mm. I remember having a chance to see uh, DBIC wrestle um, uh, Dick Murdoch live. And uh, it was it was Dick Murdoch was was the good guy. DiBiase was the bad guy. And it was kind of the uh, they were kind of doing a teacher student angle, you know. Uh, okay, yeah. Uh, and, and I remember uh, at one point of the match, uh, DiBiase trying to crawl out of the ring, and Murdoch pulling his pants down and spanking his bare behind right there, <laughs> you know, in the ring. You know, so 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 those kind of stick out. Uh, my my matches. So some of my favorites, like again, you know, the the blood gut stuff, for, for some reason, kind of appealed to me. Uh, I really love the I uh, the, the I Quit match with Tully Blanchard and Magnum TA. Oh, yes, uh, yeah. yeah. Th- th- that that match to me, man, it just has all the, it has everything. It, it's got solid, stiff, believable wrestling. Uh, the climax of the match is just so believable. Uh, you know, it, it, it's really, really one of my all-time favorite matches. Um, uh, I, I like um, Tully Blanchard anytime as a heel getting beat. I thought he he is a great heel to watch take a beating. You know, so I, I started liking Magnum from his time in in the Mid South, and then it, it just kind of carried over carried over there. Um, yeah. Now, now. Mr. Wrestling 2 and Mr. Olympia. Uh, if Whenever you decide to turn the clock back and go back and watch some of that earlier Mid-South stuff, that's some really good stuff there. When Mr. Olympia turns heel, mm. it's, a, it's, a, it's, a great, it's a great little uh, deal with, with him and uh, him and Mr. Wrestling 2. They had some great matches, and then Olympia ends up have, starting a feud with the Junkyard Dog, and, and, and that's good stuff uh, as well. Uh, I'm trying to think. Um, Neidhart and Butch Reed—they uh, wrestled a cage match I saw on a Monday night against Magnum TA and Mister Wrestling Two, uh, and that I remember being a, a really, really fun match. Uh, oh, they showed and, highlights and, of that on the TV show. I'm sure. I'm sure they did. I think. I think. Yes, that, would and, that have been late '83 or maybe early '84. But yes, I, I think so. It was right in that in that area, and, yeah. and the, the, the highlights from that match was the one we were at. You know, yeah, which, yeah. which is always kind of neat. You know, when you when you see that, because I I remember seeing the the on the barricades around the ring. You know, it, it would say New Orleans Police Department. You know, mm. so you always knew it was from the that was from New Orleans uh, shows. But those are some of the ones that stick out. Uh, you know, the 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 Jimmy Snooker stuff with Morocco in the WWF and that stuff. Morocco was so good. I think that's a guy that, that sometimes gets, gets overlooked as being, being great. Uh, he was so good. Um, I think he, but, but yeah. problem, sorry, 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 I was going to say, I think no. the problem for Morocco is that he was just slightly the wrong time, wasn't he? He was just a little bit earlier than when the WWF went fully national. And he, he, though he was around for the first few WrestleManias, I think it's probably fair to say that he was past his peak by that stage. So he just, he just, just about miss that you know that where where all of a sudden you're you know everyone knows you for the rest of time basically because everyone that grew up in the 80s knows all those guys that were in you know the big WF expansion don't they really but he was 
you know, I think he was a bit older and injuries and stuff had caught up with him by that stage, didn't they, I think? Yeah, I, I, I would agree. And, and you know, I, I heard a podcast the other day, somebody mentioned something about Morocco and, and why he didn't even go higher than he did. And, and, mm. and they said because Morocco didn't want to or he, he, was, he wanted to have too much fun. I think it, it, it seems to me like Morocco was probably a lot like Dick Murdoch, uh, where they had all the tools and all the ability of anybody else at the time but they were they were more worried about having fun and and, and messing around yeah. than just being serious and 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 seeing how great they could be. I think it must have been, especially back then in the mid eighties. You know, you're earning probably not amazing money. I'm sure they weren't amazing, but de- but good money, decent money. The lifestyle. I, do you know what I think? You know, no mobile phones. You're not going to get caught out. You know, you, you, I'm sure these guys were just running wild, weren't they? So I mean, I think I think that's the thing. I, I can understand why. You know, uh, some of the some of the the I'm trying to put this in the most politically correct way I can. I'm struggling <laughs> yeah. with the words. Some some of the some of the things that are available to them, I probably I think they probably turn their heads a bit. Just, just two, two more quick quick because it's interesting what you're saying. That Ted DiBiase Dick Murdoch uh, match was that Christmas night? Can you remember? Uh, you know, because they did it. They did an event. They did an event at the Uno Lakefront Arena, which I, which was did the Ring of Honor show the night before WrestleMania, in, which I went to, which is really good actually. But that that arena is right out in the middle of middle. Of, well, I say it's in the middle of nowhere. It just happened to be. I think we picked the worst possible weekend for weather in New Orleans. <laughs> I don't, you you could probably remember that it was pouring with rain on a Saturday night, and I think I got caught in a rainstorm there. So waiting for an Uber back to back to downtown. <laughs> but yeah, they had an event on Christmas night. What I know that is a traditional thing in wrestling, but. We haven't had anything. Christmas to Christmas is, in terms of sport in the UK, I don't think there's been football in or soccer in the UK on Christmas Day since the 60s. And it's a completely, like, I know there's, you know, there's usually NFL on, on Christmas Day, is there? Or NBA, certainly, isn't there, I believe? Yes. Yeah. Yes. Whereas yeah, we NBA, get nothing. And, yeah. Yeah, it, it, it is kind of interesting. I, I, uh, you know, I, I remember being, being so excited when we finally, because my parents weren't big wrestling fans either. But, but we talked them in to, for a Christmas present. We wanted to go to wrestling uh, because they did have a Christmas night. But yes. I don't think that was the DiBiase show. Uh, I, I seem to remember that that particular match was in the St. Bernard Civic Center. Oh, okay. Uh, fine, fine, fine. And, and, and I don't know why I remember that, you know, but, uh, but, but that seems like it, that was there. No, that's just because I, I just like, I don't even have a look, look at cage match, but I find it so interesting. I'm mean, look at that, and I'm, I'm on that all the time, looking at you know where people were in terms of like jumping from promotion to promotion. I was looking at Teddy Bios and Dick Murdoch, and I was thinking, "Crikey, Christmas night! What a great thing that that would have been to do. get get you know, oh, all the foods eaten. You're away from the family, and you're watching wrestling on Christmas night. It doesn't really get much better than that, really. Um, Absolutely. We talk, talked about Magnum TA. I always think you know, what might have been with him. And I'm sure lots of wrestling fans do. Um, I always, because he was such a young guy. He, and, and the thing I always think about is he was younger than the Ultimate Warrior. Um, and I just wonder, I mean, there's lots of talk about him getting a run with the NWA world title. Well, you know, what might have been for him? And I know Vince McMahon liked to, didn't like any, using anyone that wasn't his own creation. But you think, this guy was a superstar. And he's so good in ring as well. Like, he, he's, just, he's just phenomenal in ring. I just, you just wonder, you know, what, what could have been for him? Yeah, he, he, he really was, you know, to, to steal Lex Luger's uh, moniker, the total package. Yes, uh, yeah. He, you know, he, he really was. I'll tell you, if you haven't seen it, it's circulating on YouTube. 
Um, there's a match with Ted DiBiase and Magnum TA. Uh, it's when Magnum TA is a North American champion. So it's probably, you know, in the 84 uh, range there somewhere. I'm, I'm horrible with dates. Forgive me. But, but, but it's a house show match from either Tulsa or Oklahoma City. And, and they, have, they have actually both. Uh, but it's, to me, it's, it's my style or my favorite style of wrestling. It's, it's hard-hitting. It's snug. It's believable. Uh, there's, there's some blood in the match. Uh, it, it's, just, it's just two really, really good technicians uh, having a very, very believable match. You, you know, uh, you, you know I'll switch gears just real quick. Like, like Roddy Pipe, I love to listen to Roddy Piper on the mic. Mm. But if you watch a Roddy Piper match, it is the most unbelievable thing. His punches, oh, okay. are, yeah. you know, you know what I mean. I've just and watched so- two. I've, ju- I've literally <laughs> just watched him. He Survivor Series, so he teamed with Bret Hart in '91 Survivor yeah. Series, and his jabs yeah. were horrendous. <laughs> and then I've just, yeah, they are. They were, and I've just watched what must have been the best match of his career versus Bret Hart at WrestleMania Eight. Um, but again, he did. He, there was the punching spot where he does the jabs, and they're like. These are, you got Brett, one of the best working punches you can ever see. And yeah. then Pipe is doing that. And it's just like, oh, it's just almost like, just stop doing that. I don't want, I, you know, I don't want the match to go too far down in my mind. But it was a great match. But you're completely right with that. You're absolutely spot on. Yeah, you know, particularly, again, you know, when, when you compare that to a DiBiase or a Murdoch or a Magnum TA, I mean, I mean, those guys, you know, Again, even knowing that, okay, this match is predetermined, those guys made you really get up close to your TV and go, oh, wow. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I think he's really punching the heck out of this guy. I'll tell you what, DiBiase, so obviously I've seen more of his WF work because he hasn't been uh, – there's more DiBiase to come in Mid-South and stuff I haven't seen yet. But there's, a, there's the 1990 Survivor Series uh, elimination match ends up with him and Bret Hart. And it's only about six or seven minutes, but it is, there's, there's small packages, there's near falls. It's just, it's like, it's incredible. And they're, they're both so, so good. And there's, I think there's a Saturday night's, at least one Saturday night's main event match between those two as well. That's worth checking out, but that's sort of deviosity a bit later than this, but yeah, I'm still, still absolutely phenomenal at that stage. Well, 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 I'll make I'll make a deal with you. I, I need to go back and watch some of some some more of that Bret Hart, particularly with DiBiase, and and and, and I'd like for you to go back in in that 1982 range and watch some of that Mister Olympia yeah. stuff. Sounds good to yeah. me. Yeah. I'm gonna yeah. write that down yeah. right now. It's a good stuff. Right, so Terry, let's let's uh, move on to the September 22nd, 1984 episode of Mid South Wrestling. This is episode two six three on YouTube. So here's a question for you, actually, if you can remember, what, when did this in terms of time of day, usually air in your market, was it Saturday mornings? Or because I know there's some some difference depending on where it was aired. I believe. Yeah, it, it seemed seemed to recall that we would watch it early on Saturday because mm. in the afternoons we would we would go to WTBS and watch that. So it, it seemed like it was Saturday mornings. And and I shot you a little clip. Uh, I sent it to your Facebook. It's actually from from the um, Jim Cornette's Midnight. Experience. Uh, express scrapbook and it's got a timeline and and you'll be able to see that this particular match was taped in Shreveport on the 12th so yes. we're about a week behind on that uh, but but yeah we, we would catch it in New Orleans on Saturday mornings because I think because it's, it's odd actually because the, the all the YouTube um all the YouTube dates are are wrong but the WWE net I'm just looking at this this message now sorry thank you all of the, all of the um 
all of the net WWE Network ones are correct, um, which is odd. And they're Saturdays. It's just it's just weird that I, I wondered whether the whoever put that YouTube together whether they got the shows on a Friday perhaps because they, they seem to tally out with Fridays but again I guess that these are sort of different markets and different time slots depending on the, the local station that aired them um yeah so yeah I, I, yeah. Can't, I can't get I can't really get my mind around it uh, <laughs> but 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 they would they would they said back then they would, it was called bicycling tapes yes and they yeah. would take these tapes and, and bring it around to different markets and so yeah I, I guess I guess you know different people would see them at different times yeah and the th- the bit that I really wish was available and there are a few out there is because th- this th- these shows are only telling you maybe two thirds or three quarters of the story. The bit that we don't see is obviously the local promos for the events. Um, because yes. obviously it's, you know, we're pushing, we're pushing, you know, Magnum versus Butch Reed or whoever it may be, but you don't get to see any of that stuff. So you, that's, that is slightly frustrating sometimes because you're only getting a, you're getting most of it, but not all of the, all of the story, sadly. Um, so it's Jim Ross and Joel Watts um, at the desk this week, and Joel is looking resplendent in a white suit, striped shirt, mm-hmm. and tie combo. And um, what are your thoughts on on Joel? Because obviously he's he's been become well known for his excellent video packages, but him on commentary is you know you always kind of want Jim Ross and Bill Watts, and then if not Boyd and Bill, but then you sometimes you get Joel with one of the other three. So what, what are your sort of overriding thoughts on Joel? Yeah, you know, I, I thought Joel was fine. Uh, you know, my preference was always I, I'd like I liked when the wrestlers would be on there. Um, mm. You know, Ernie Ladd would do it a lot. Uh, you know, when Bob Roop was in the area, he would do it a lot. I, I always got you know had had a good time listening to the wrestlers do it because they would always you know give their their, their slant. You know, particularly if this was a heel. Um, but, but, but we knew when, when, when Bill was on, there was some messages that needed to get across yes. or needed to, you know, and, and so B- Bill was the best at, at telling that story. Uh, but, but I thought Joel was fine because I mean, heck, he's sitting next to Jim Ross who, who you know, is going to end up being, you know, the greatest ever in, in, in many opinions. Um, so, so, you know, he, he, he was fine, but, uh, nothing really stuck out there. Yeah, and I, you know what, I would agree. I think fine is the perfect word for him because I've listened to enough some robotic WWF commentary uh, yeah. over the years. And actually, I'll tell you what, I, I, I watched, I was very bored about two or three weeks ago and I watched a, uh, I think a Tokyo Joshi Pro show from Corican Hall, which had um, English commentary on it. It was Sonny Ono and another gentleman. And it's probably the worst comment. No, not probably. It was the worst commentated <laughs> wrestling event of all time. So actually, <laughs> if you, if you listen, think about some of that, some of the stuff that really grates on you, Joel has never grated on me in the probably no. 15 episodes or so I've, I've heard him on, which, which actually is to his credit because he is, um, you know, he's not the most polished, but as you say, he's completely fine. Um, oh, yeah, so, yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So Ross says we have an exciting show in store and Joel adds that the TV main event is going to be Terry Taylor versus Hercules Hernandez for the TV title plus Brickhouse Brown team with Johnny Mantel and then the North American champion Magnetier is here plus the tag champs the Midnight Express. Um, Ross recaps Master G last week and we go over that segment. Um, so what did you think of this recap? Um, and this is the debut of Master G obviously attacking Hacksaw Butch Reed. And what are your memories of Master G from this time? I, I remember a failed experiment to replace the Jojo yeah. dog. You know, uh, they they were trying so hard, um, and and it just uh, for whatever reason, uh, you know, maybe it's because there was only one JYD. Um, but uh, and and you know, 
maybe the other part of it is Butch Reed is so much better than Master G. So much better. You know, I think that's why you'll see, and I don't know if it's in, in this episode or the next one. Well, actually, it's going to be the next one. Uh, so I don't want to jump ahead of myself, but but they start teasing, you know, that, that Butch is about to, about to turn, you, you know, because he's just, Master G is out of his league with Butch Reed. Yeah, um, and yeah, he's out of his league. Yeah, and, and I tell you what, again, I, we, we're doing. Um, Terry's very kindly going to do the the following week's episode, so I I'm, I can't remember either actually. But there's one bit where he comes out, uh, Master G, and I thought there was some there was scattering of booze. Um, I in, think in I the, heard that as well. Yeah, and I, I wondered what that was actually because I started thinking, is that is that booing? Is it you know is it different sounds or what what is it? But I think it, I I just wonder whether this this crowd was actually like. A bit smarter than probably anyone gives them credit for. It's like we know what this is. This is you know trying to shove someone new down our throats to replace a junkyard dog, and we don't really like it. Um, actually, we probably would prefer to cheer Butch Reed if he was turned. So that that was interesting. Um, <laughs> yeah. But yeah, I can't remember that's this week or next week. But we'll, we'll, we'll certainly come on to that. And um, so back at the desk after the replay of the Ross interview with Master G, Joel says that he believes Ross was right when he said that Master G was one bad dude. And adds, just like one of our great presidents said, he speaks softly and carries a mighty big <laughs> stick. I had to look this up because I'm, I'm afraid to say my American history is not all that. Though I did, I did funnily enough, watch the musical uh, Hamilton this afternoon. I don't know if you're familiar with that, about Alexander yes. Hamilton. Yeah, so yes. uh, it's, it's probably slightly better after that. Though uh, my wife kept looking at me and sort of asking if I knew what was going on. I was like, well, yeah, I kind of do. Um, but yeah, this is uh, this is Teddy Roosevelt's foreign policy. Apparently, so this is quite this is quite a famous phrase in the states: "Speak softly very, and carry a big stick." Very, very famous. Yeah, uh, and I've even taught history uh, a couple of years way back when, and. I, I couldn't have told you who said it, but it is famous. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, had to, I only know from the faint hanks of Google, so that's uh, that's uh, yeah. What would we, what did we used to do without that? Um, but Ross said that the incident made wrestling news from coast to coast, uh, and then back after the break, we had the Midnight Express in action versus Rick McCord and Steve Miller. Um, so when we come back from break, there are a number of wrestlers in the ring, along with Boyd Pierce, who's wearing an exceptional red and black suit. I mean, these suits must have been, if you're tuning into this, this must have been a highlight to see what Boyd was wearing every week, surely. No doubt. Everybody, if you asked anybody who watched Mid-South Wrestling about Boyd Pierce, they would, they, the suits would immediately come up. Yeah, I mean, I mean uh, this, is, uh, this, is, this has got to be a solid 8 out of 10 on the Boyd Pierce fashionometer here very very good stuff um so butch reed is there along with buddy landale plus hercules hernandez and jim Cornette is still sporting his mask after his haircut in the superdome a few weeks ago um reed cuts off boyd and says that he wants master g down there he said he didn't know where the fool came from but he wants him down there he says it's his yard and he has a suit for him and landale holds a big bag of feathers a few of which he throws into the air. Um, what did you think of this promo? This is a recurring theme during the show. What do you think of this opening promo here from Reed? Okay, yeah, yeah. You know, Butch Reed is just, he's gold as always. You know, he, uh, he he's funny. Uh, he, he's just, you know, I, I put together a top 10, uh, my, my, my favorite Mid-South wrestlers doing these, these, two, these next two weeks. And uh, Butch Reed is my number one. Uh, he is, he's just great. He's great on the mic and, and uh, he's entertaining. And, and so I, I love any, any interview with Patrick and then Buddy Landell, he's the perfect comic foil. So, so those two together were, were, were so entertaining to me. 
Yeah, re- really, really good, I thought. The, the only thing I would say about Reed is I prefer him when he's slightly less shouty, I think. I think he some, sometimes, I think, he, obviously, none of this stuff is, stuff is scripted, but he's got some incredible lines in there, and he's obviously really natural, really charismatic. And sometimes just think just if you just dialed it down a bit I think sometimes your sometimes his message is lost but there's enough in there that's still I mean this is really nitpicking to be fair because he this guy's an incredible promo so I'm probably nitpicking a bit there uh, but Boyd ultimately cuts Reed off um, and he said thank you we don't have all day which made me laugh um, and Jim Corner introduced the Mid-South Tag Team Champions the lean mean slick and quick and out they come to their new, normal great theme um, this is the Midnight Express of course um, and this is the closest the Midnights have come to somewhat matching trunks, uh, which is always a bugbear of mine. Um, with each- <laughs> so they're, they're tag team, they're tag team trunks, we're matching, we're something matching. Um, Eaton's long tights had some of the same red on uh, as Condry had on his trunks. Um, so the Midnights worked over McCord and Condry uh, and actually ended up tagging Reed, uh, not Reed, yeah, Reed. Is it Reed? Who are they facing? I've lost, I've, I've lost my... Oh, uh, it's, uh, it's uh, Rick McCord. Oh, Steve, Steve Miller. Miller. I've written Reed yeah. down, but they didn't tag Butch Reed in. So they yeah. tagged, up, tagged in Miller, uh, and the Midnight's won in 205 with a backbreak and flying knee off the ropes from Eaton, which, which is really excellent. It's always good that the Midnight Express have got uh, a few different finishes that they use to finish this stuff off. Um, impressive stuff with fast tags as per the norm of the Midnight's here. And what did you think of this short match? Well, you know, again, suspending disbelief. They at the end there, Condry does three backbreakers on Steve Miller, and he looks like he's trying to kill this guy. And then, uh, yeah, I mean, I, I thought he was. If it if it wasn't technically stiff, it was very snug. And yeah. then, 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 like you say, the, the finisher off the top. Uh, but yeah, those those guys were good. Uh, great, great team. Uh, they complemented each other well. Cornette was the, the, the perfect heel manager for them. Uh, obviously, you know, uh, Hall of Famers, all three of them. Yeah, absolutely. Um, all right, so we're moving on now. Uh, back from the break, again, we have Butch Reed in ring uh, with Landell and the Bag of Feathers once more. Um, he calls Master G a coward again and tries to get Master G to come out to ringside. Uh, in ring is Mike Jackson as exotic Adrian Street makes his full entrance. Uh, at this time, Adrian and Miss Linda are decked out in zebra print, and Adrian doesn't use Linda as a step to get into the ring uh, this week. Um, and he actually got quite a few cheers here. Uh, what are your memories of this uh, this this Brit exotic Adrian Street on, uh, on Mid South? Yeah, you know, uh, I was really into the magazines uh, then, and so I, I had read about Adrian Street. I had never seen him wrestle. Uh, had read about him, and so I was excited to to see him uh, see him go. I mean, obviously, everything I had heard, uh, you know, he was le- legit. Uh, I I don't know if we're PG or not, so I want to say bad A. Uh, you know, he was a legit tough guy. Yes. Um, and, and so uh, it was it was fun to watch him go. And and Mike Jackson, you know, for guys who who were preliminary, you know, Mike Jackson was, was one of the best. And so uh, it, it, I, I knew it would end up being a good match, and I, and I thought it was. And it, obviously everybody who tuned in knew who was going to win, but, uh, but Mike Jackson gets a couple, you know, couple, couple moves in, and, and uh, it's a good showing. Yeah, absolutely. I, I, think, I think this, uh, the kind of 
difference between Adrian's sort of he's he, he's very flamboyant but then when he's in ring he's ultra tough and I really really like that um I think that's that's a, that's a, that's a really strong um use of him I think there um so basically before the match Linda sprays Adrian with a with what I call Rowjects. Like, do, do you have do you guys have sort of a deep heat type spray here for sort of sports injuries I'm sure that's not what it's supposed to be but they used to be used to be quite big in the 80s here old Rowjects. I, I think ours is like icy hot. But there we go. Yeah, same thing. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Yeah, yeah. I remember yeah, a guy yeah. at school cut, like pretty much covered his whole body in that stuff before we played uh, before <laughs> we became a game of soccer, and it didn't make him play any better. So I'm not sure it works. <laughs> um, but yeah, I thought this was this was pretty good actually. Um, and Jackson was a good opponent for Street. Um, and I really, and as I, as I mentioned, I really like the commentators pushing his aggressive style as well. Um, yeah. So after the break, we had Dale VC and Don Saunders versus Brickhouse Brown and Johnny Mantell. Joel calls Brickhouse and commentary a very <coughs> determined young man who wants to move up in the ranks. Um, Mantel and Brickhouse, I thought, looked impressive during this contest, including a fantastic high drip, drop kick from Brickhouse, um, which Joel put over on commentary. Uh, Mantel got the win, t- win in 238 with a side Russian leg sweep. Um, what are your memories of Brown and Mantel? Um, and what did you think of this, this short match here? Uh, you know, the, the match was kind of what you would expect. You, we, we all knew who would win going in. Uh, you know, quite honestly, Brickhouse Brown is light years better, and I don't want to say better because I, I, I'm not a, I'm not a promoter, you know. But from a, from a fan standpoint, I think everybody liked Brickhouse Brown way better than Master G. Uh, so, so I'm not sure why you know if 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 truly Bill Watts was looking for another black superstar to replace Junkyard Dog. I don't know why they didn't go in that direction. Um, yeah. but because I, I think he's more talented. I think he was more over with fans. Um, you, you know, he, he, he was a good looking guy, the, the, the whole deal. Um, but, but as far as this match, kind of what we expected, um, you know, Johnny Mantel was a solid hand, uh, n- never really was a, was a, a main eventer in the mid South. Uh, but, uh, but, but he and Brickhouse were, were both good wrestlers for sure. Yeah, I wonder about Brickhouse. I, I don't think I've heard him cut a promo yet. And I thought Master G was, 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 was probably a little bit better than average. Actually, it was it was it was maybe decent, as good as that when he when he did that first promo with Ross. And I wondered whether that might have held Brickhouse back. But I agree. I thought that in terms of in ring, um, Brickhouse had it, didn't he? I think there was there was something something about him. But clearly, obviously, Master G was the, was the one that was pushed, you know, ahead of ahead of him. And I don't think Brickhouse was around for all that long in Mid South um, for, for memory of when I when I've looked him up. Um, before, so I don't know whether that came into it at all. Well, you, you know, you, you make a good point about the promo, uh, and and like for instance, you you hit the nail on the head when you when you said the the missing component for these YouTube videos is the the the, pro, the house show promos. Yeah, uh, and if if there's anything that that could could help someone get the gist of someone like Hacksaw Duggan. It's those house show promos. The, the, he he could put people in the seats. He could put butts in the seats. And then if you suspended disbelief at the arena, you saw a American badass really beating this heel. You know, and, and so so that so that that's that's probably a probably a great point. There is is Master G probably had Brickhouse on those promos. 
Yeah, no, I know. I think that's probably right. Actually, I was I was wrong about Brickhouse. He, he was around in Mid South for, for about another ten months actually um, before he um, he went off to Continental after that. Um, so yeah, he he was around for a long time. So yeah, it's, it's odd actually that um, perhaps he wasn't sort of pushed a bit, you know, a bit bit bit, bit harder perhaps. Um, but after the break, we get Magnum TA who had not been on TV for some time um, leading up with a match with Art Cruz, um, which once more started with Reed and Landell in the ring, with Boyd calling out Master G. Uh, Magnum was just standing there for this, and Reed said he would get to him. Um, <laughs> again, similar similar from Reed, good stuff. Um, the ring floor was covered in feathers um, when Cruz and Magnum <laughs> match started, and Ross called it disgusting, which I thought was quite funny. Uh, and Ross says it's been one of the most exciting things in his career to watch the development of Magnum. Uh, and Joel says that Magnum has one of the nicest belts in wrestling, 27 pounds of gold and silver, um, Ross says he may be biased, but he thinks it's the nicest belt in all wrestling. It was a really nice belt. It's not all that dissimilar to the, um, I think the AEW world title now is not a million miles away from what this what this North American title was like during this period. But no, I thought it was a, thought it was a nice belt. What, do you, what are your memories of the the actual physical championship belt here? It, it, it was, you know, again, I, my, my beginnings started with that old kind of odd-shaped North American title that uh, DiBiase and Ernie Ladd and Killer Call Cox and those guys had. But, but, but that, the, the new belt that, that TA has, it is a pretty impressive belt. Uh, yeah. it, it's a, it's a good, good looking belt. Uh, and, uh, and, and, and he's right that the, the progression of Magnum TA it, it is really, really amazing. You know, when you watch, him when he first got there and 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 going back to magnum teaming with with uh mr wrestling too yes. and, and 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 that program was great and and two grooming him and then them eventually splitting you know magnum ta is really coming into his own and he's believable and, and he, he he's a solid champ for sure yeah and that was that was right at the beginning of me watching and that was so like that 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 was so good that the subtle stuff um, the hitting the um, the flower bag with Jim Ross yeah. out somewhere. It was just all, it was just all such such incredible stuff. Um, so ultimately, Magnum won this one um, in three twenty with the belly to belly suplex. Um, again, you know, so polished and so slick in the ring. What did you think of the match here? Same same here. Just just very solid. Uh, I I love the finisher. His belly to belly suplex was 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 one of those maneuvers that you could put on just about anybody and, and make it look really really believable and and uh and just just a good and and art cruz was 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 another sound uh and uh, you know whatever term you like to use enhancement talent or you know preliminary guy he was really sound and so so kind of what you would expect there good match yeah definitely and, and i think with the magnum belly to belly there's belly to bellies and then there's the magnum belly to bellies because he really sort of hoists them up and over and it looks pretty devastating as uh you know as a belly to belly suplex really which sometimes sometimes now is, is, is used more as a kind of transition type move but he he got everything out of that definitely um, yep. So next up after the break is the big one for the Mid-South television title, Hercules Hernandez challenging Terry Taylor. Um, and Ross says they must mention the absence of the TV title medal. And apparently Dr. Death Steve Williams mistreated it when he'd stolen it. And as such, Taylor had taken it to a jeweler to get it sorted out. Um, Ross, this is really interesting, this next bit. So Ross says that he has a satellite dish 
and he watches wrestling from everywhere around the country. And many fans tell him that wrestling from New York is too predictable and they never have main event matches on television, whereas this match would be a main event anywhere in the world. Um, and that's a really nice direct dig at Vince McMahon here. Because uh, <laughs> I'd imagine the tension between the promoters, especially with JYD just having left, was probably you know about as, uh, about as at boiling point as it ever really got, I'd imagine. Um, so Ross says that Master G has accepted Butch Reed's challenge and they are going to have that match later in the show. So after some back and forth action, Taylor went for a cross body block, but Hercules moved and Taylor smashed straight into referee Pee Wee Anderson. Taylor had Hercules down with a flying forearm and in comes Dr. Death with his helmet on. Carl Fergie comes out and calls for the bell and Hercules holds Taylor for Williams to attack him. But Taylor moves and Williams goes helmet first straight into Hercules midriff. And the bad guys soon take back over again and Taylor ends up with a helmet to the face over and over again and he's busted wide open. And eventually Magnum, Brickhouse and Johnny Mantell come out for the save. This was quite, you know, this was a lot of headshots here. And this is, you know, looking back with 2020 eyes and knowledge, it's quite a bit of a hard watch actually. What did you think of this, uh, this match and the, the post-match angle here? My, 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 I made a little asterisk by this. I, I thought this was uncharacteristic of the Mid-South because Bill Watts, one of his main themes was to be believable. Mm. This, this reminded me of Triple H. I mean, it was so – I mean, there's no way you can – it was nine times he hit him in the head wow. with a helmet. Yeah. There's no way you can hit somebody in the head with a helmet and not have their face looking like the elephant man. Yeah. You know, and so I, I thought it was I thought it was too much. I mean, especially in, you know, maybe in ECW or, or maybe, you know, later on when, when they started pushing the envelopes more. But in Mid-South, again, they, they wanted to make it realistic, you know, and, and Watts, he wanted things to be snug. Well, how can you do a snug headshot to somebody with a doggone football helmet? Yeah, it's not, you know, yeah. Yeah, and, and, and look, there were a couple of, and like I said, I counted nine times. There were a couple of them there where he, where he, he clipped him pretty good. Yeah. I just think, it, it, to me, it was, it was too much. And, and, and again, I'm the guy that likes blood and guts, but this was not nine helmet shots, so I thought it was just too much. Yeah, I almost got the feeling that um, while um, Williams was trying to lay these in, he was, he, he, it was almost like he'd work one and perhaps he wasn't that satisfied with what he'd just done. So he just laid the next one in and then it was like, well, actually that was a bit hard. So I'm going to work the next one or I didn't really like that. And he smashed him in the head again. It's just like, and repeat, as you say, nine times. So yeah, it was, a, it was a bit much that. Um, but yeah. back from break, we get more Butch Reed. He says it's his backyard and he says he's not sure what he needs to do to make Master G come, come down to the ring, but he is the real master. Um, so some referees come down to the ring and order Landell to leave the ring because basically Master G has agreed to come down, but only if it's one-on-one. Uh, which I didn't think was a super sort of super baby face thing. What did you think of that sort of clause that Master G sort of put in? I thought that was a bit bizarre. I can't, you can't imagine, I know it's obviously much later, but I always think with a baby face, if you're booking a wrestling promotion, you should ask yourself, what would Steve Austin do? And whatever the answer to that is, is probably the way you should book it. Yeah, I, I, I agree. I, I, it it, it might have it, it been better served if anything else, having Master G saying, okay, well, my buddy is going to stand out here, you know, since Landell's out here. Yes, um, exactly, yeah. You, you know, I mean, everybody knows 
Landell was coming back, yeah. <laughs> you know? And so it, it was, it, you know, it was almost kind of like a waste of time. You might as well just let him stand out there because he, you know, he's coming back, you know, the feathers are going to come into play at some point, you know? So, uh, so yeah, I thought it was a bit odd myself. Yeah. Uh, Master G comes out to Rapper's Delight by the Sugar Hill Gang and another, another sort of use of original and popular music at the time. And um, though I didn't necessarily think that this super suited what this guy had been sort of shown to be over the last couple of weeks or week, because he's like this big, tough sort of brawler. And this is a kind of happy go lucky sort of song. I'm not sure how, what did you think of this in terms of fitting with his, the way his character had been portrayed so far? Well, well, first of all, at 53, it's funny how the brain works. I can still recite word for word that <laughs> doggone song. <laughs> but, but, but you know, in the song, there's a lyric that says, the man they call Master G. So oh, the okay. Reason. There you go. Yeah. I didn't know that. That's yeah. that. So that, that, that yeah. makes it work, doesn't it? Yeah, okay. Yeah, that, that's, that's the only reason is because they refer to a Master G in that song. Ah, how interesting. I should have yeah. done my research and listened to the lyrics there. I won't make that mistake <laughs> next time. So well, I've, been uh, singing it for, I've been singing it for 43 years. So a, <laughs> I remember this is the song that it's the song in uh, the wedding singer that the the old lady character that Adam Sandler teaches her, and I think that's that's my first introduction to it. I think, um, but yeah, <laughs> excellent tune. Uh, so Mark, they get into a brawl straight away here um, with G getting on top early on, and he t- almost takes Reed's head off with the stiffest tail looking clothesline. Um, and after a few minutes, uh, obviously, as we talked about, Landell makes his way back to ringside to the absolute disgust of the ringsiders. I don't know if you caught any of their faces, but the, 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 the few rows of people in the front all saw Landell coming out. They all looked as disgusted as anyone's looked about anything, which is really, really great. Like perfect reaction from the crowd that you couldn't, if you're booking this, you couldn't want a better reaction to Landell than you got. Um, so Reed goes up to the top rope and misses an attempt at a diving headbutt on G and takes out Landell. G, G hurls Brown into a ringside railing and he goes to the tar and spreads it all over Buddy Landell. Uh, Magnum TA and Mantella at ringside blocking Reed from attempting to get back in there. But Reed just walks off and doesn't attempt to help Landell. Um, and clearly from this, they're pushing G to the, to the moon from the get-go. Um, what did you think of this short brawl and, um, and this, this show-closing angle? Well, you know, since since we started, I've been burying Master G. and I probably, I'm probably just still bitter from... from you know, 40 plus years ago, him replacing Chuckyard Dog. <laughs> you, you know, you know he, it, it really was a, you know, kind of what you would want in a match. He had a lot of excitement. You, you, you know, he, he's not he's not horrible. Uh, like I said, I'm, I may just be bitter uh, still, you know, because because we all love Junkyard Dog so much. But but I thought I thought it was solid. It, what we all would want to happen happened. You know, Landell got got tarred and feathered. Uh, I, again, I, I look at kind of, you know, like you looked at the fans' reactions. But the thing I thought was interesting when he just bust the, uh, the, the molasses over, over the pole, over the steel post, I'm thinking, holy mackerel, it's like he didn't cut his finger off or, yeah. uh, or, or something like that. Then he, then he pours it on uh, Landell. But, but no, I thought, it was, I thought it was fun. It was a good, good way to kind of, kind of end that. You knew it was coming. I mean, they, they teased us the whole episode. Uh, and and the the right guy got tarred and feathered. Yeah, 
No, absolutely. I, th- I thought it was interesting that, that they've given G so much uh, in these first couple of episodes. There was a bit of a change next week, hashtag spoiler alert. But mm. yeah, clearly they're getting behind this guy. Um, so the show closes with the excellent Rock and Roll Express video set to jump um, that we've seen before. Um, and, and so any comments on this, Terry? Because you may have not seen this video for a while, but um, I've sat sat through this video probably six or seven times I've shown this one in the last uh, last 12 yeah. weeks or so. So as, as, we, as we count down to the big return of the rock and roll express it's just so cheesy <laughs> so, <laughs> so so cheesy but but you know uh uh when when you when you listen to a shoot interview with um with uh oh heck uh our booker uh bill dundee bill dundee yeah, yeah. Know, I, I think he says makes an off-color comment uh, about you know they need more women in the stands. And, yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. And, and and so that's 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 what you got there. You know, you got the Midnight Express, and now you're going to bring some some young, good-looking guys. That's going to going to bring some girls to the arena, and and it's going to it's going to make history. So um, it, it's it's really interesting actually because um, Dave Meltzer talks about this a little bit with um, regards to WWE and, and how the philosophy of Vincent Mann pushing people has massively changed. If you think back to the to the early 90s. By the time that Hulk Hogan was 40, he was being phased out and Vince was looking for, you know, he was looking for the next man. Lex Luger, he tried, you know, he tried but didn't quite work, you know, he never got the title. Then you had Brett and obviously when Brett was approaching 39 when he lost the title, I think 30 out of 39, um, it was on to Sean, etc. But actually all of that you know, he phased out Randy Savage when he was, you know, younger than 40 as well, approaching 40. And then you fast forward to 2020 and it's, they don't push anyone that's young. And if you're young in that promotion, you get stuck in NXT for years and years and years. And you're not, you know, you're you're producing, a, you know, pretty decent products on that side of things, but you're not in the, you know, in the limelight of the, the main roster and the main events kind of thing. But this is, this is what sh- shows that I think that, this this was a cool promotion. This was the classic babyface. The guys wanted to be these guys, and the girls wanted to be with them, and it just worked. And I, and I think that modern AEW pushes more young people, um, but I think that's a, that's a trick that modern wrestling WWE certainly is missing, and obviously clearly worked massively for Mid South, and then on from there to, to other promotions that these guys were in. And um, but just to, just to recap the show as a whole, so we had to, obviously two big angles this week. One with Taylor being set upon by Williams and Hercules, um, plus obviously Paul Landell being tarred and feathered. So what did you think of this uh, September 22nd episode of Mid-South Wrestling overall? I, I thought it was, it was a really good show because, you know, it, it, it again, typical Mid-South, it, it was such great episodic TV. You know, uh, you, you had Magnum as the champ. You, you, you really don't see, you know, without the pro without the local promos who who he's going with but but you can obviously see that that Terry Taylor and Adrian Street are headed in in a direction against each other yes you know uh with with them showing the rock and roll express videos you obviously know we got to have the two expresses meeting up here again um and then then you got the master g uh you know butch reed buddy landell love triangle that that that's going and then uh you know, hey, Doctor Death's got a football helmet out. I wonder if somebody's somebody else is going to have a football helmet coming out here soon. Yeah. So, uh, so, so yeah, you know, mid south, uh, just just a solid episode, good stuff. I tell you what, I just I just looked that up actually, and I I think you'll struggle to guess who. So, Matt, so this was what the twenty second of September. Um, so his next live event appearance 
after this, defending the Mid-South North American title. Who do you think? It'll be, it's someone that was on this show, but I reckon you'll... And I'm very surprised it was this, but can you have a guess as who you think it might have been? It was, oh, in, Houston, it was in Houston. Uh, uh, he, he feuded with Bernie Ladd. He was feuding with Bernie Ladd, and he, was, he had matches with him late that year. But he had a, um, a North American title match in Houston against Terry Taylor, of all huh. people. So they did a babyface, babyface versus babyface match there, which I, I'm just, I'm, I'm, sh- I'm flabbergasted by that, to, to be comp- completely honest. Because uh, I'm very surprised, could, yeah. Yeah, you could have gave me 10 guesses and there's no way I'd have guessed Terry Taylor. No, I never would have guessed the babyface side yeah. on, on that. Uh, but Terry, yeah. you're very kindly joining us uh, next week for the September 29th, 1984. So before we get out of here, uh, where can, fi- where, crikey, get my teeth in because I can actually speak. <laughs> uh, where can people find you online? Well, I, I, I love social media, so you can find me just about anywhere, and I've got all kind of projects going on. But the, the, mo- the most simple is uh, on Twitter. I have uh, Coach underscore Canova, which is my last name, C-A-N-O-V-A. So Coach underscore Canova on Twitter. And then on Facebook, you just got my name, uh, Terry, T-E-R-R-Y, last name Canova, C-A-N-O-V-A. Fantastic, Terry. Well, thank you very much for your, for your time again, and we shall speak again next week. Thank you very much. Can't wait. Thank you very much for listening to this week's episode. If you've enjoyed the podcast, please head over to iTunes where you can subscribe and perhaps you'll even be kind enough to leave me a lovely five-star review, which would absolutely make my day. If you're interested in guest hosting, please contact me via the Mid-South Moments Twitter account, which is at MidMoments. And I look forward to speaking to you all again very, very soon.